The Holy Gospel according to John chapter 8. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham, and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. Well, it is the 4th of July weekend, of course, and it is also here in Iowa City Jazz Fest weekend, of course. The 4th of July and jazz share one thing that is fundamental to both of them, and they both celebrate it um, this weekend. That one thing is freedom. The 4th of July celebrates this land of the free, although truth be told, and truth is still important, right? So truth be told, this land of the free uh, was birthed 86 and a half years earlier for people whose skin was white and for people whose skin was black. Eighty-six and a half years, if my math is correct, being the time between the Continental Congress's uh, endorsement of the Declaration of Independence and Abraham Lincoln's signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Jazz, evolving primarily after the Emancipation Proclamation and primarily of Southern black musical culture, celebrates freedom in music. Freedom, especially the freedom for musicians to improvise, to play notes just right there of their own creation, rather than being bound to notes that are written on a page. Speaking of freedom, and truth being told, Jesus in John 8 said, to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Surely one of the most beautiful promises ever promised, except they didn't hear it as a beautiful promise. Did you notice that? They heard it as fake news, as evidenced by their reply, we're descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Two things are evident in that response. Number one, as I already said, they didn't hear a promise of good news at all in those words. But nevertheless, number two, they did accurately hear and agree with one thing Jesus was saying. I say that in light of the fact that these descendants of Abraham claimed here never to have been in bondage to anyone while the literal fact of their history is that they, over the years, had been servants and slaves of pretty much every empire that ever was in that half of the world. But they were saying, though those powers did move their armies into our cities, they never moved their gods into our hearts. The prophets, by the way, over the years would um, disagree about the truth of that statement, but we won't quibble on that at this point. What is true 
is that they were on the same page as Jesus in understanding that both the most powerful bondage there is and the most powerful freedom there is are both matters of the soul and of the spirit, not of nations or states. But there's no such thing as real freedom, the real deal, true freedom, Jesus also says here, without truth. And at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day too, for that matter, the only truth there is, is the honest to God truth. And it is in knowing the truth, Jesus said, that you will be free. And that truth, Jesus concludes by saying, all the way down to our hearts, is the truth of human bondage to the enslaving power of sin. Later, of course, he would add the beautiful with amazing grace detail to that promise, that detail being found in his promise, I am the truth. And I forgive sinners sins. Which, on this 4th of July and Jazz Fest weekend, this celebration of freedom weekend takes us to that reading from Galatians chapter 5, where Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, we do need to understand, like those who heard Jesus in John 8 did understand, that the freedom Paul is talking about here, too, is, of course, not political freedom, or for that matter, even this country's precious religious freedom. For the freedom Paul is talking about here is precisely spiritual freedom, the freedom won for us and entrusted to us by the supreme sacrifice, not of soldiers or founding fathers, but of Jesus, who gave all and gives all still, so that we, free of charge, might be free forever. Free with freedom, which according to Paul, is not just this someday in heaven future thing, it is also a right here, right now, today thing, because for freedom, Paul writes, Christ has, as in already, it's done. Christ has set us free. The freedom Paul is talking about, in other words, and pretty obviously, is the freedom not of a country called America, but of a kingdom called grace. A kingdom whose charter and whose preamble is the gospel. In Galatians, Paul Passionately. I mean, two weeks ago, I preached from Galatians, and I told those of you who were here to go home and read Galatians. And of course, I mean, your pastor said it, so of course, you all went home and did that without exception. And so you all saw that in Galatians, Paul passionately wages a war against those whom, and I don't think this is overstating, I mean, he got really worked up, against those whom I believe he would have regarded as, by and large, theological terrorists. For the way in which, citing God as their ally, they were seeking to rob Christ's church of its freedom. And those of you who all also uh, went home and read Galatians also saw, you know, I'm, I'm not getting blank stares. Did some of you not go home and read Galatians? <laughs> Still time. Those of you who went home and read Galatians also saw that they were doing that by launching theological Missiles. I mean, you know, you've all seen the Bible used as a weapon, right? They were launching theological missiles and firing theological sniper shots 
into Paul's insistent proclamation that we are set free. That is to say, we are saved here and now and for forever, not by one single good thing we have done or ever could have done by our own efforts to somehow make ourselves acceptable to God. We are saved by faith in Jesus and his efforts, all the good that he did do for us. The theological enemy that Paul is battling in his war words with in Galatians, it's probably better that you're gonna wait till this afternoon to read it because now you can catch this more clearly. The th theological enemy Paul is battling is the enemy who would pervert and pollute the gospel's good news of God's love for sinners by turning the gospel into yet one more self-help book. This time a version of you earn what you get from God by being very good at by being very good and by being very righteous about self-accomplished righteousness. And since, of course, truth be told, that's a game you can't win if the goodness and righteousness you're going to compare yourself to uh, is the goodness and righteousness of God, God's law. You have to change the game. So you can win. Two, you earn what you good from, get from God by being better than other people at being good and, and righteous. And then, and then you gather with others who, who are good and righteous just like you and who agree with you on some hand-picked social issues which you know are more important than anything else in the Bible. I mean, that thing about greed, money, uh, you know, the small print. That stuff about sexual matters, bold print. You know that there are certain charter theological social issues that are more important, so you find people that agree with you on them, and then you gather together in your church, which now has begun to formalize its brand. Its brand being, wow, look at us. We are better than other people. Paul's book of Galatians is the church's declaration of independence from religion that is religion like that. Not by our efforts, but by Christ's efforts, Paul says we are free. Free from a kingdom of religious requirements where fake saints judge sinners. Free for a kingdom where we, all of us, all of us who in our own ways, not fake, but very real, all of us are both saints and sinners. And where we, all of us, live together, love together, forgive and are forgiven together in the welcoming and gentle arms of God's love, God's mercy, God's so amazing that amazing isn't even an amazing enough word for it, grace. That is what Paul is talking about when he boldly speaks of the freedom in which and for which we, you, are free. But then he says, and God bless America and God bless religious freedom, but listen to this for God's sake, church and state. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, Paul continues, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Take careful notice of what Paul is, everything he's now said. 
We aren't saved by what we do, but by faith in what Christ has done for us. That's how and why we are spiritually free. What we do doesn't matter. But it nevertheless matters. My goodness, it's ever matter. It matters incredibly what we do with our freedom. For if we use our freedom self-indulgently and not for love, Paul says, the very gift we cherish will become the very thing with which we destroy ourselves and destroy others too. That merits repeating and remembering. If we use our freedom self-indulgently and not for love, Paul says, then freedom, the very gift we cherish, will become the very thing with which we destroy ourselves and destroy others too. Just to say that we aren't saved by what we do doesn't change the fact that it matters what we do. It matters because in this world, uh, decisions, actions, they have consequences. Consequences in the quality of our relationships with our, our, in our own lives and consequences in the quality of our relationships with one another and with others. We are free, but it matters. Oh my, says Paul, does it ever matter to us to others, to God, what we use our freedom for. And on this 4th of July weekend, I want to assert that that is not only true for Christians and our freedoms, it is also true for Americans and our freedoms. It matters. It matters to us, it matters to others, it matters to God. What America and Americans use our freedoms for. And the whole law, Paul says, is summed up by a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. The whole law? <coughs> summed up in a single commandment? You shall love your neighbor by yourself? I mean, how far does that go? Suppose Paul would even see that reaching into, into America? And it's civil laws, like for example, America's health care laws, America's immigration laws, America's abortion laws, America's gun laws, America's foreign policy and foreign aid laws. Are, I mean, are they meant to be included in that statement that the whole law is summed up in the one commandment? You shall love your neighbors yourself. Kind of a stretch, I suppose. Probably not, I suppose. Kind of a naive thought, I suppose. Unless, unless you're one of those folks who's ever sung the prayer, which let's be clear, it's a prayer song. It is not a pep rally song, it's a prayer. And in singing it, it occurred to you that in singing the prayer, God bless America land that I love, stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. You are then actually praying that the answer to that probably naive sounding question that I asked be yes. For the only way God ever does or ever will guide those who pray to be guided is in the way of God's love. Because God's love, Paul says, is the entire law. Summed up in that single commandment. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself, it bears repeating and remembering. God's entire law is summed up in the command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which means that if God is to bless America, lamb that I love, and stand beside her and guide her through the night with light that is light from above, that will every single time look like and be love. And if it doesn't, and if it isn't, then it isn't God who's leading and guiding our being listened to. And actions in this world, including in this land of the free, have consequences. And if actions are precisely not love but hate, then those consequences will be not loving but hateful as well. And it will not be freedom but bondage that we are living in, not free in faith but imprisoned in fear, not free for love but bound to hate, not living in the beauty of grace, which we can never deserve, but rather because actions do have consequences, living in the self-indulgent fear and hate and mistrust, which no matter where we aim them, will inevitably return our way to become the walled prisons that we live in. But not us. Not us. Not in Christ's church, Paul says, for goodness sake. For we live in the Spirit, Paul says. And the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And there is no law, not one that comes from God's leading from above anyway. There is no law against such things. Because, says Paul, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. A contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law, not one from God anyway, against such things. Brothers and sisters, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Through the night with the light from above.